Before Jesus, I was obsessed with myself and the things of this world. I was wild, lost, and spiraling out of control. But now, because of Jesus, I am made alive. Before Christ, I was lost. I suffered from severe anxiety and depression and felt as though I was alone in all my struggles. It wasn't until February of this year that I realized that Jesus wants to fight my battles for me and that I'm not alone in my struggles. And since then, I've been made alive. I was lost uh, in my trespasses and sins. And during a church service, I went forward and received Jesus Christ. And I was uh, made alive again. Before Christ, I was living a life of addiction and self-destruction, ultimately leaving me without any hope and pleading for death. But Christ stepped into my despair. I've been made alive. Before Jesus, I tried to be a good girl who made good choices and thought if I worked hard enough and was good enough that I would be happy. But after seeking the world this way, I was miserable and lost. At 28 years old, I met Jesus and have been made alive. Antes de Jesús había tristeza, dolor y desesperación en mi vida. Pero desde que encontré a Jesús, he vuelto a vivir. Before Jesus, I lived a life of false hope and half-truths. But after Christ, I've been made alive. Happy Easter! Those of you watching all over East Texas and around the world, we are excited that you've chosen uh, to celebrate the risen Jesus with us online at New Beginnings. And so it is raining here in East Texas. It has been storming all morning. The parking lot is empty, but Jesus is alive, and that is worth celebrating today. What I love about the stories you just heard is that every story had two parts to it. You had life without Jesus and then life with Jesus. Life without Jesus being dead and empty and meaningless. Life with Jesus means that they've been made alive and now have purpose and hope. And this is what we're celebrating today. This is the power of the resurrection. You see, the greatest event in human history is the resurrection of Jesus. And the greatest news that we could ever hear in the entire world is that Jesus is alive. And that means that he can step into our story regardless of what it is, and he can move us from death to life. And this is what we're going to look at this morning. This is where we're going to be. So if you've got a copy of God's Word, I want to encourage you to grab it, and let's go to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 is a powerful passage of Scripture that helps us understand the power of the resurrection of Jesus. Let me just give you a summary statement of what we're going to read, and really what I'm going to unpack for you this morning as we think about the power of God to resurrect us and give us Life. So here is a very simple phrase that summarizes the passage and that really I'm going to be unpacking through the morning. And it's simply this. Without Jesus, we are dead. But with Jesus, we are made alive. Without Jesus, we are dead. And with Jesus, we are made alive. Alive. And really, th this is the category that every single person fits in. See, oftentimes we think of life and we think of various categories that we might fit in. We think maybe uh, good people and bad people, or we may think uh, there's moral people or immoral people or religious people and irreligious people. But the truth is there's only two categories that we all fit into. It is either we are dead without Christ or we are alive because we are in Christ. We are either dead in our sin 
need of life, or we have been made alive because Jesus has intersected our story. And so here's what I want to do. I want to unpack the first part of this phrase. Without Jesus, we are dead. And look what Paul says here in verse 1. He says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sin. You were dead in your trespasses and sin. Paul doesn't waste any words here. He doesn't sugarcoat it. He doesn't try to soften the blow of, of our condition. Paul just comes out of the gate and says, and for you, and he's speaking to you and to me and all the rest of humanity, and you were dead in your trespasses and sin. I don't know if you've ever been around someone who is just painfully blunt. And for those of you who are wondering, like, I don't know anybody painfully blunt. That's kind of a dumb thing to say. You're probably the person who's painfully blunt. Uh, but sometimes you get around people and they are just like, they just tell it like it is. I mean, just out of the gate and they don't care about your feelings or emotion. They just tell it like it is. And this is kind of what Paul does in this passage here. Paul says, and you, this is your condition. You are dead in your trespasses and sin, not you're struggling, not you have a few issues to work out, not a, you've got a couple of problems that if you get to the bottom of, everything is going to be okay. He says, no, 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 you are dead. And then he says, in your trespasses and sin. So what is a trespass? A tr trespass is simply this. It is, it is where you've crossed the line. Um, and then the question is, what is sin then? What is trespass and sin? A sin is simply that it is, it is missing the mark. It is missing the mark of what God's desire is for. So think about those two words, trespass, crossing the line, sin, missing the mark. And I think all of us would have to agree with this truth and reality. That every single one of us have had moments in our life where we know that God doesn't want us to do something. And he is clear that this is not the, the things that he wants us to do, the places he wants us to go, and the attitude or dispositions of our heart. We shouldn't have those things. And yet, we continually live and do those things anyway. And then there are other times where we know God wants me to do this, and yet we know that, but we choose not to do that. So every single one of us fits into this category of a person who has trespassed and sinned. And here is what the scripture tells us is that because of this, sin leads to death. Without Jesus, we are dead because of our sin. And some of you may be thinking, you know, wait a second, I, my, my heart is beating today. I'm breathing. I mean, I'm alive. I'm in a good place in my life. And man, I feel healthy. What do you mean I am dead? What Paul is talking about in this passage of Scripture is not merely a physical death. He's, he's talking about a spiritual death. And th this is what he'll say later on in chapter 4, verse 18. He describes this as being alienated from God. And this is, in essence, what he's talking about. Being spiritually dead means we've been cut off from God. God is the source of life for us, but because of sin, we have now been separated from God. We have been severed from the relationship, which means we have been cut off from our source of life. We are spiritually dead because we do not have a relationship with God. I love what Pastor Louis Giglio says about this. He says, sin didn't just knock us down to God's JV. Or put us on probation. Or put us on a slower track to getting our mansion in heaven. No, no, no. Sin wiped us out. Sin killed us. And this is the condition for every single one of us. We are alienated from God, cut off from life found in him. And listen, this causes a massive problem for humanity. And here's why. We were created to know God. 
We were created for the purpose of worshiping him, of fellowshipping with him, of walking with him. This was to be the reason we exist. And now we, because we've been cut off from God, our source of life, we have also been cut off of our source of purpose and meaning and hope in life. You see, apart from God, we are empty. This is why so many people live their life just aimlessly wondering, feeling like, man, something is missing in my life. And there seems to be in many of us this perpetual dissatisfaction, regardless of what relationship I'm in or what I I accomplish or how many uh, things that I achieve and do with my life. There's still, at the end of the day, like in the bottom of my soul, something is missing. It is the God void. We were created to know him, and now we are spiritually dead, cut off from him. And I know for many today in the current season we are in, many of you feel this even more than at other times of your life. You see, oftentimes this this thing that's missing in our heart, we can fill it with a lot of substitutes. We can keep a lot of hobbies and activities and accomplishments and relationships. But when you go through a season like we're in, when COVID-19 comes in and disrupts the substitutes, oftentimes it leads us into seasons where we recognize that something is missing in our life more than at other times of our life because we've been cut off from the hobbies or the substitutes that we've been using to dull the pain or to fill the void. And so maybe you're in a season right now and you're thinking, man, something is wrong. I don't know what's wrong, but something is missing in my life. I want to tell you this morning, if that is you, it is a, an absence of a relationship with God potentially for you. That spiritually, without Jesus, we are dead, cut off from God. I, I want you to see what this looks like, this spiritual deadness that we live in. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 3, Paul describes for us this life of spiritual death. Look what he says here. He says, in which, the sin and the trespass, in which you once walked following the course of this world. Paul is simply saying here is that we live life on our own terms. We live life on our own terms. And then he goes on to say, following the prince and the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work and the sons of disobedience. He says, now you, you are living life under the influence of the evil one. He gives a third description here. He says, uh, we also among whom we all once lived in the passions of the flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. In other words, Paul is saying, our life of sin now causes us to pursue our own desires and our own impulses. And I want you to think about what Paul is doing here. He is describing for us the life apart from God, a life that is cut off from God. And listen, this is not just passive rebellion. You see, sin and trespass is not something that happens to us. It is something we actively participate in. You see, our disposition now that we have been cut off from God, life without Jesus, puts us on a path where we now have hearts that are rebelling against the Creator. And rather than walking with him and and pursuing and, and knowing him, now we are trying to find life on our own terms. We are not just passive transgressors or passive sinners. We are now trying to find our hope and meaning in the creation rather than the creator. We have committed high treason against the God of the universe. This is the disposition of our life. And, and this is where we begin to understand and have framework of the brokenness in the world around us. This helps us understand why there is so much evil and injustice. This helps us understand why there is is so many things that seem to be broken in our world. This helps us understand everything from terrorism to consumerism. 
is that humanity has been disconnected and now we're living life on our own terms, trying to find life in and of ourselves that we were meant to find in God and God alone. And this is the condition of our soul. Some of you today, I want you to know that for many of you, maybe listening to this, you go, man, listen, I'm, not, I'm not that bad of a person. Like, I'm a pretty good uh, family man or woman. I, I take care of my kids. I work hard. I want to contribute to society. I'm not that bad. Now, I know some bad people, but I don't fit into that category. Here's what I want you to know, that regardless of where you fit in on the bad to good spectrum, that every single person who is without Jesus fits into this category. And see, there's a difference between, I think sometimes we think because we have certain behaviors that make us look alive, that we think that we're actually alive. Listen, there is a big difference between something looking alive and actually being alive. I'll illustrate it like this. If you've ever been to a a wax museum, uh, wax museums have these figures that have been sculpted and created, and they look like they're alive. I've been to some really bad ones, and I've seen some uh, sculptures that I looked at, and I didn't know whether it was Abraham Lincoln or Uncle Si from Duck Dynasty. And then I've been to some where it is just absolutely amazing. I mean, you walk in, and every single figure looks like, man, it, you feel like they're watching you as you walk through the room. And if they put their hand out to shake your hand, you wouldn't be surprised because they look alive. But here is the truth of the matter. It does not matter what it looks like. The appearance doesn't change the status. You see, you can have the greatest artist, sculpt, the most unbelievable figure, a person of history. You can have the greatest makeup artist come in and paint their skin and give them every little detail of the eyes and the mouth and the lips of every detail of this person's existence. They can come in with the greatest designers and clothe these figures. They can take the greatest set designers and prop them up. But the truth of the matter is, even with all of that, they are still lifeless and dead. And the same is true for you and me spiritually. You see, we can prop ourselves up by comparing ourselves to others. We can clothe ourselves in religion. We can make up ourselves with good works, but it doesn't matter what we do. If we are without Jesus, regardless of how we look on the outside, the truth is we are dead spiritually. Our appearance doesn't change our status. Paul does something here in verse 3. I think it's important that we see. Paul shows us the death blow of death. Look what he says at the end of verse 3. And he says, and we're by nature, by nature children of wrath. What this simply means is that because of our sin condition, the wrath of God is aimed toward you and me. That we rightfully deserve the judgment of God because of our rebellion and sin. Now, I know for many People who hear phrases like this, we think, well, how can God be loving and yet me be the object of his wrath? Let me explain it to you like this. See, God's wrath is actually a good thing. You see, what God has promised in the scriptures is that one day he is going to make all things new. That he is going to sweep in with his righteous judgment and his holy wrath. And he is going to sweep through all of creation. And he is going to obliterate and destroy all evil, all injustice, all brokenness will be eradicated. And everything will be made new once again. You've ever wondered, what is God doing with the brokenness of this world? Listen, he has promised he is going to wipe away every tear. There will be no more sorrow, no more pain, no more death. Everything 
everything will be as it was supposed to be. But this is going to happen through his righteous wrath coming and wiping out all evil and injustice. And if you and I are dead and our trespasses in sin, that means that we are in the path of God's divine righteous judgment. You see, if this story or this passage ended in verse 3, this would be the most depressing Easter sermon you've ever heard in your life. You see, but just like every single story that you heard in the video at the very beginning, there were two parts to the story. There is life without Jesus and life with Jesus. And I'm so grateful that Paul says, listen, this is the condition of life without Jesus. But I'm going to tell you, Jesus can invade the story and change the script. Look what he says in verse four. Look what he says. He says, but God, these are the most powerful two words that have ever been Put together, not but you or but I or but we, but God. What is he saying here? God intersects the story. God steps in. It's not that all of a sudden we change ourselves or clean ourselves up or get religious or get moral or start making changes in our life to becoming a better version of us. No, no, no. God invades the story. But God, not but us or but you or but if, but God. God steps in and does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. He intersects the story, and when he intersects the story, everything changes. And I know some of you today watching and listening to this message online, for some of you, you think because of the first part of your story that it is game over for you. That you think your life is done because you've gone too far, you've sinned too much, you're too broken and messed up for God to ever want to do anything with you. And I want to tell you this Easter Sunday, but God, he wants to invade your story. And he wants to give you a second part, and he wants to change the script today. Now, notice what he does here. Notice the description he gives to God in verses 4 through 7. He says, but God, being, listen to this, rich in mercy. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Now, don't miss the description of God. He says that he is Rich in mercy. Say, what does rich in mercy mean? It means that God has more mercy than you have sin. That God has an abundance of mercy. And then it says that God doesn't just possess love, but he possesses great love. That he is abounding in love. That the scriptures tell us that God is love. So I don't know what your concept is today of what God is like, but here's what I want you to know today is that he is rich in mercy. He has great love for you, and he wants to usher his mercy and his love in your life, in your living room, and invade your space today and let you be reminded that he loves you and he has mercy for you. You see, he tells us in here in verse 5, what God's mercy and love does for us. Look what he says in verse 5. He says, even when we were dead in our trespasses. Don't, don't miss that phrase there. What that means is, is that the but God enters into the equation. The mercy and the love of God enters into the equation while we are still in the condition of verses 1 through 3. He says, even when we were dead in our trespass, made us alive together with Christ, for by grace you have been saved. Now remember the first part of the phrase that summarized the passage. Verses 1 through 3, without Jesus we are dead. 
But verses 4 and 5 tell us, listen, but with Jesus, we are made alive. And this is where everything changes for you and me. He says, even when you were dead, listen to this, in your trespass, he, God, listen, has made us alive with Christ. He made us alive. This is a work that God does in us through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. It is a work that he does and he does alone. And that work is possible because the tomb is empty and Jesus is alive. You see, the reason Christianity is predicated upon the resurrection of Jesus, and this is the reason the resurrection matters to you and me, is because it's through the resurrection that we can be made alive with Christ. I want you to, to, to think about this. You see, our condition is spiritual deadness. We are spiritually dead. And here's what that means for you and me. Is that because we are spiritually dead, what we needed is to be made alive. You see, religion tells you what you need is to just practice some spirituality. You see, the, the, the theology of good works tells you you need to become a better version of you. But listen, the issue is spiritual death, which means that what we need is not to get better. What we need is to be resurrected. You see, the story of the gospel, the message of Christianity is not we are bad people in need of improvement. No, no the Bible tells us we are dead people in need of resurrection. Now, you think about this for a moment. Think about if a person has their heart uh, to stop beating. And what that person needs in that moment is for someone to come and resuscitate them, for someone to come and do for themselves what they cannot do for themselves. Think about it like this. If a person is in the pool and they're swimming and all of a sudden they get a cramp or whatever and they begin to drown and they cannot make their way, they are going to die in that pool. Here's what that person needs in that moment. What they don't need is a life coach that's going to stand on the sidelines and give them tips of how they can get themselves out of the water. No, no, no. What they need is a lifeguard who will dive into the water and pull them out of it so that they can receive from the lifeguard what they cannot do on their own. This is what we need from Jesus to be made alive. And this is what Jesus has come to do. And this is what he accomplishes in his resurrection. You see, here is the truth for you and me. Is that the gospel is very clear and it tells us what Jesus has done for us to move us from death to life. You see, back in verse 1 Here's what the Apostle Paul says about you and me. He says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sin. You were dead. The game was over. You were dead in your trespasses and sin. But here is what the gospel tells you and me, is that Jesus, the perfect, the holy one of God, he steps into verses 1 through 3. You see, you and I are dead in our trespasses and sin, and we are the children of God's wrath. But Jesus stepped into verses 1 through 3. And on the cross of Jesus, listen, he died for our transgressions and for our sins. On the cross, Jesus in himself received the full weight of the wrath of God. He became the object of God's wrath on, uh, in our place. And here's what that simply means for you and me, is that the wrath of God has been transferred from you, from me, to Jesus so that our sins and our trespasses might be paid for and the wrath of God might be absorbed. You see, 
On Good Friday, we read the story of how Jesus was whipped, he was beaten, he was mocked, his beard was plucked out, a crown of thorns placed on his head. He was nailed to a Roman cross where he bled and he died for our transgressions and for our sins. It was game over. They put him in a tomb. But here is the great news. See, if the story ended with Jesus on Good Friday dying dead in a tomb, if the story ended there, that means that our story is over and it is ended and it is dead and there is no hope for you and me. But God, on Easter Sunday, the very first Easter Sunday, he raised Jesus from the grave. Jesus moved from death to life so that you and me and anyone who would place their faith and trust in him might also be moved from death to life. This is what we celebrate today, that Jesus is alive. Therefore, we too may be made alive. And see, this makes a huge shift in the heart of humanity. You see, our, our great void in our life, the great thing that we're longing for is to be in relationship with our Creator. And here is what happens. When we are made alive in Christ, we are reconciled to our Creator, which means everything we have been longing for in our life, we discover that it is found in Him. You see, life has a name, and that name is Jesus. And when you have Jesus, the Scripture says you have life, but not just ordinary life, you have abundant life. You see, for so many of you watching today, you have spent your life self-medicating trying to fill the emptiness of your life with all the things of this world, trying to find some sort of meaning and purpose and hope and, and future for yourself. And what you've been longing for is a relationship with the Creator. And I want you to know today, this Easter Sunday, you can be transferred from death to life and experience the hope that's found in Jesus and Jesus alone. Because when you discover Jesus, you discover everything you've been longing for in life. And the question is, how do we get there? How do, we, how do we move from this place without Jesus being dead to with Jesus being made alive? How do we make that transfer? But Paul tells us in verses 8 and 9, look what he says here. He says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this, not your own doing, it is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. Paul simply says this. He says, this new life, when he says, for by grace you've been saved, the, the word saved there is the picture of being made alive. It is being resurrected in Jesus. He says, and for by grace you have been saved. In other words, there's only one way you can be resurrected and made alive is, is, is by the grace of Jesus. It is not by your work or your effort. It is simply by the unmerited, unearned favor, the love of God being given to us. It is the grace of God. And he says, it's the grace of God, but is received through faith. So it is by grace, but it is through faith. It is by trusting in and resting in Jesus' death and resurrection as our only hope. He says that you can have this gift of salvation that is given to you by grace, and you receive this gift of grace by placing your faith in Jesus. So, so what does it mean to have saving faith? What does it mean to have a faith that truly allows me to receive the grace of God? I think sometimes we miss this in American evangelicalism. Let me, let me explain it to you like this. Let me kind of illustrate what saving faith looks like. You see, I'll kind of talk to you about it like this. See, saving faith is, is, is when we fully rest in 
the finished work of Jesus. So let me just use this chair as an illustration. This chair has a design. It has a purpose. And the purpose of this chair is to give my body rest that I can sit in this chair. I can place my body onto this chair. And now this chair is holding me fully. I'm no longer standing on my own. I am resting in this chair. And this is what the chair was designed for and meant for. But if I come to this chair and, and I say, I'm weary and I'm tired and I need a rest from, from my body. And I, I come to this chair and I say, okay, let me just describe the chair to you. I, I, I just got all kinds of knowledge about this chair. So let me tell you about the color of the chair, the scratches on the chair, the weight capacity of the chair. I could tell you where we bought the chair. I could describe the chair in as detailed of a way as you would want me to describe the chair. But the question is, is in just in knowing the chair, does that allow the chair to do for me what the chair was meant to do? And the answer is no. Or I could come to the chair and go, okay, uh, this chair is, is strong and it's sturdy, so I'm going to I'm going to lean over on the chair. I'm going to get in proximity to the chair. I'm tired and I need rest for my legs. And so let me just kind of lean on the chair. And man, I feel a little bit of, of relief. The question would be is if I'm leaning on the chair or in proximity to the chair, the question is the same. Is the chair doing for me what the chair is meant to do? And the answer is no. You see, it's not until I turn from standing on my legs and I place my faith in the chair, trusting fully by resting in it completely that this chair will do for me what it is designed to do this now I have transferred my faith from myself my legs and my ability to stand and now I am resting fully in the chair and here's what I believe so many people have in regards to the relationship with Jesus you see, for many of us, we have knowledge about Jesus. We can, we can come near to Jesus and we can say, okay, let me just describe Jesus. I know that he died. I know he resurrected. I know that Jesus is a historical figure and I can tell you verses and I can tell you the, all the information about the Bible. And man, I can even tell you some good things that I've done to be obedient to Jesus. Some of you, you approach Jesus like this, that you have a knowledge of Jesus. You can describe a lot of things about Jesus, but you've never transferred that knowledge into saving faith where you now rest your life fully in him, repenting of your sin and trusting fully with your life the finished work of Christ. Others of you, you've approached Jesus in a nearness or proximity. You, you've come to Jesus and say, man, my life is hard, my life is difficult and so what I need in my life is some spirituality. I need to go to church more. I need to read my Bible more. And so what many of you have done, you've approached Jesus and you, you've seen Jesus and you've used Jesus kind of as a, a person to lean on when times are tough. A person you even have some affection for. You've incorporated some spiritual things into your life and, and so there is a proximity that you think you have with Jesus but you've never Moved from Jesus being a person you lean on to being the one you rest in. And what you need is to stop standing near Jesus and place your faith in Jesus, trusting his finished work, his death and resurrection for your only hope and salvation. And others of you, maybe you've taken a different approach. Maybe for some of you, you've just dismissed him. You've just said, I don't, I don't want the chair. I don't need the chair. 
and you've dismissed Jesus from your life, but yet you feel a perpetual emptiness and brokenness. And maybe today, rather than dismissing the chair, you would, this Easter Sunday, rest in the chair. Others of you, maybe you've had hostility toward Jesus. And you're offended by his message. And what you've tried to do is kind of with your mind, destroy the chair. And you've just ridden Jesus off. But for whatever reason today, you're sensing a need in your life. And you're sensing that Jesus might be what you're looking for. You see, whatever your posture is toward Jesus today, what you need is saving faith. You see, when I went from standing to sitting, I was transferring the weight of my body from myself to the chair. I was repenting and I was resting, giving full control of my body to the chair. And so whatever your disposition is to Jesus, this is what you need to do today if you are without Jesus. Because the truth is, without Jesus, you are dead. But with Jesus, you can be made alive. Maybe today, the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart. And you know you need to be moved from death to life. You need to trust in Jesus. I'm going to ask you right now where you are just to bow your head. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to repent of your sin and to trust and rest in Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith, to place your faith in Jesus. So right now, where you are, I want to lead you in a very simple prayer. I want to remind you, though, that just praying these words just meaninglessly Repeating what I say doesn't bring salvation. These words are merely a help to you to confess what you're feeling in your heart. If today you are uncertain of your relationship with Jesus, or maybe you are certain that you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I want you to know right now he can save you. So with your head bowed and your eyes closed, just pray this prayer to God from your heart. God, I am a sinner And I know that I am dead without Jesus. But I believe that you died for my sin and that you resurrected and that with you I can be made alive. Make me alive today. Save me from my sin. I am turning from myself And I'm going to rest in the chair of Jesus today. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, if you prayed that prayer today, I want you to know that the scripture says that heaven rejoices. Because today you have moved from death to life. Without Jesus, we are dead. With Jesus, we are made alive. So you have been made alive today in Christ. And we at New Beginnings would love to celebrate this new decision, this new relationship with you today. And here's how you can help us celebrate this with you. I'm going to ask you to grab your cell phone right now, and you can simply text us. Text the letters NBBC to the number 313131, N-B-B-C, to the number 313131. 
3.1. Share that news with us that today you received Jesus as your Lord and Savior. We want to send you information about your new journey in him. And we would love to be able to pray with you over the phone and celebrate what Jesus has done in your life. For others of you today that you you know Christ, I, I pray today, I hope today that you are reminded of who you were without Jesus and who you are now that you have Jesus, that you are not hopeless, you are not helpless, you are not broken, you have been made alive. Jesus changes everything for you and me. And we are excited that you have celebrated this with us today. And so here's what I want to do. I just want to pray over you. And then we're going to have some closing remarks that I hope you'll stay on. We've got some exciting things coming in just a few minutes for our families. I want to pray over you and ask Jesus just to remind you whether you've been made alive today or whether you were already alive but just have been reminded of the good news of what Jesus has done, that God would bless you and keep you and let his grace shine upon you and give you peace. Father of heaven and earth, I thank you that Jesus is alive. I thank you that this is the greatest hope the world has ever known. I thank you for those who have trusted you as their Lord and Savior today. I pray that they would have the courage to share that news with friends, family, and with us here at New Beginnings. Father, we thank you for the hundreds and thousands of believers who have watched this morning today being reminded of who they are in you. God, we give you the glory and praise for all that you have done because it is by your grace we have been saved and we have been made alive. And we pray all of this in the name that is above every name. We pray this in the resurrected name of Jesus. Amen and amen.